Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3 for our study this morning. Colossians chapter 3. We'll be looking at the first 11 verses. If you would read with me through our text and then we'll pray together. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life that we have in Christ, the forgiveness that we've received. We pray as we study that you would cause our hearts to be fertile soil, that we could meet with you, that you would instruct us. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul has done a beautiful and powerful job of laying out who Jesus is in the first two chapters of Colossians. He tells us that Jesus is the creator, that he has created all things, but also he's the sustainer, that he holds all things together. He holds the universe together. He holds our lives together. He's the head of the church, and he's to have preeminence in everything, that Christ truly is to be first. As we went through chapter 2, we saw, as we've received Christ, so walk in him, that all of the Old Testament, the shadows from the feasts and the Sabbath point to the substance of who Jesus is, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. So he lays this glorious foundation, and then in chapter 3, he shifts gears and goes from the doctrinal to the practical. I don't know if you ever... uh, took chemistry or biology, but sometimes those science classes can be pretty boring until you get to blow something up, right? You get to go from the lecture to the lab. I remember growing up in Southern Oregon, my sophomore year, took biology, and then we had a weekend trip where we went over to the Oregon coast and we got to really experience marine life in the, in the tide pools. And that was made biology really come to life. And when we think about life in Christ and we understand our position in Christ, the power is really when we make it practical. The power is when we start to apply it to our lives. And in chapters 3 and 4, Paul's really going to get practical. He's going to apply it to our daily life. What does it mean for Jesus to be first in our lives? What does it mean for Jesus to have preeminence? You know, it's pretty easy to throw up a sermon slide with Jesus first, right? It's even easier to talk about Jesus being the head of the church, but when we really start to examine, is Jesus the priority in my life? 
Can I really say that, that Jesus is first in my life? What does it mean for him to have preeminence in my life? So verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. The word if can also be translated since, since you were raised with Christ. That's the idea of the text. Because you are raised with Christ, you've been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, risen in newness of life, then in light of that truth, in light of that reality, this is how we respond with what we are to seek. And that's our first point this morning, to, to seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of the Father. So we ask the question, well, what is above? What is seated with Christ? What's going to last for all of eternity? To see this life through eternal life. The list gets really short. It's a relationship with God and it's a relationship with people. Those are the only things that are going to last in eternity. Our homes aren't going to last. You know, our cars aren't going to last. Our jobs aren't going to last. Our our positions aren't going to last. Our our hobbies aren't going to last. But a relationship with Christ and a relationship with people is what is going to last for all of eternity. You know, there's a phrase that those that dies with the most toys wins. Like if you have the most possessions at the end of your life, you, you've won. But really, have you won? I mean, you can't take any of that stuff with you, right? And then the reality of it is, is if you leave it to someone else, they're probably not going to value it. They're like, this is junk. Why did dad hold on to all this stuff, right? Who, want, who wants all of, all, of, all of this stuff? So what are we seeking after as we go through this life? Are we seeking a deeper relationship with the Lord Are we seeking people and investing in people? It's easy as we go through the daily grind of life to get our priorities mixed up, isn't it? Jesus told the parable of the sower with the seed on different types of soil. And one of the soil was a crowded heart where the word of God falls, but it gets choked out by the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. Isn't that interesting? That the cares of this life can choke out this priority of seeking out a relationship with God, of intentionally seeking after people. Now, don't get me wrong. We've got to get the daily things of life done and worship God in the midst of those. But what's the first thing to go oftentimes when we get busy? It's our relationship with the Lord. What's the first thing to go is start to invest in people spiritually. At the end of our lives... When we step into eternity, I think we're going to be thankful for times that we invested in a relationship with the Lord and we invested in people and we'll regret those times where we say, I've lost sight of that. I've lost sight of seeking the Lord and and investing in people. This seems to be a, a theme for us as a pastoral staff and as a leadership team here at RMC is we really are feeling called to continue to focus on the gospel and to refocus on the great commission. Jesus commanded us to go and proclaim the gospel, to go and make disciples, to invest in people, teaching them about who Jesus is and being obedient to Christ's commands. And there's something that's missing in our lives and there's something that's missing in a church if we forget about the lost, isn't there? Because when we think about eternity, people are going to last for for eternity. That person sitting next to you is going to last for eternity. And hopefully they know Christ is their Savior and you're going to enjoy heaven with them. 
And so to say, I want to invest in people with the love of Jesus Christ and to invest in them with the gospel. A lot of times I think we see Christ's command to go and share the gospel is, well, somebody else can do that. Well, they have to have the gift of evangelism, right? I'll leave that to, to the evangelist, but I'm not really wired that way to share the gospel. But Jesus said, I've given this command to everyone. And the Christian life really gets exciting when we begin to, to seek after those things that are going to last for eternity. Say, okay, it is people, so I'm going to invest in people. I'm going to invest in believers because they're going to be with me for eternity. I'm going to invest in unbelievers because I want them to come to know Christ as their Savior. Pastor Sean gave a great teaching during our staff development day, our staff training day, on Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. Now, we all know Paul, right? But Paul would not be Paul if it wasn't for Barnabas. Barnabas was the son of encouragement who invested in Paul, brought brought Paul along. And what we find in Barnabas' life is that he was willing to invest in people. And there's a place in the book of Acts where he gave up monetary things He gave up finances to be able to invest in people. And I think that that's wise. In light of eternity, to go, wow, yeah, people are worth that investment. So I want to encourage you that God is using your life and he wants to use your life. And as you head into a new week, as you head into a Monday and the mundane of life to say, am I seeking you, Jesus, and am I seeking you to make you known, to be able to declare you to others? As seeing this time together as a time to worship, to be encouraged, to be equipped, to go out among unbelievers. There's going to be people that aren't necessarily going to come inside of the doors of the church. They need the church to to go to them. And God has placed us strategically in the lives of, of unbelievers. So challenge ourselves this morning. What am I seeking? Am I seeking those things which are above? Am I seeking... Those things that are going to last for eternity. Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Second point is to set, set the mind. You think of when you set your mind, it's put into a direction. The direction that we choose in our thinking will control our spiritual life. Thoughts are really powerful. Thoughts do become actions eventually. You think about something long enough, and eventually it's going to become actions, positive or negative. Actions ultimately form our character, right? So here, this is the mindset that God wants us to have. What does it look like for Jesus to be first in my life? I'm going to set my mind on things above. I'm going to think about heaven. I'm going to think about eternity. I've got eternity to be with the Lord. Have you ever heard this phrase that you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good? Sometimes it's a complaint against Christians. Well, you think about heaven too much. And because you're focused on heaven, you're disengaged with the things of this world. I think that's a wrong understanding of a heavenly mindset. Because as we really think about heaven, it's not a disengagement from this life, but it's having clarity in this life. Okay, I'm going to be forever with the Lord, so I want to invest my life in the things that matter. I want to invest my life in a relationship with the Lord. I want to invest my life in people. If our focus on heaven causes us to disengage from the calling that God's given us in this life, I think we've missed it. But if heaven inspires us to say, I don't know how long I've got here, and I want to live it for the glory of God. 
God is very concerned with our mindset being focused on heaven. And this was shared with me years ago from my pastor in the church that I grew up with, and it always has stuck with me, is there's three things that God's going to use to get our mind on heaven. And the first is trials. God orchestrates and allows trials in our lives. The book of Romans tells us that we're to glory in tribulation. Can you imagine that? I got my can kicked. Praise the Lord. I'm so excited about that. Oh, I'm going to be thankful my car, car broke down. Oh, I just got bad news from the doctor. I'm going to glory in this trial and in this, in this tribulation. I got to tell you, a lot of times I'm not there when there's trial in my life. I've got to take time with the Lord and process it to get there. But God uses trials to get our mind set upon eternity, upon heaven. When everything is going well in our lives, it's easy to lose sight of heaven, isn't it? And think that this life is all that there is, that this life is our, our ultimate priority. But when we go through a trial, big or small, all of a sudden we find ourselves going, man, I'm so thankful for heaven where I'm going to have a glorified body. I'm so thankful for heaven where the washing machine's not going to break, right? I'm so thankful in heaven where I'm never going to lose my job. But so thankful for heaven, you, you fill in the blank. So if you're going through a trial this morning, remember that God is wanting to use that trial in our lives to cause us to put our attention upon heaven. It doesn't always happen. We have to choose. We have to say, okay, I'm going to respond by putting my focus upon heaven. Another thing that God uses to put our heart towards heaven is our treasure. Jesus, he put it this way. I want to read it to you out of Matthew. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, your heart follows your treasure. So invest your treasure in heaven so your heart will be in heaven. Jesus knows that the best way to travel through this life is to focus on eternity. And one of the ways to get us there is to put treasure into things that will last for eternity. I don't know about you, but this kind of gets me excited when you think about it. Let's just take, you know, $20. You can spend $20 like really quick. And it's not necessarily wrong to spend $20 if the Lord has, has provided it. But you can also take $20 and invest it in kingdom work, right? Something that is going to proclaim the gospel and a particular ministry that God puts on your heart. And you never know how God's going to use that little bit of investment to impact eternity. And then something happens to our hearts as we invest finances and we invest time. We invest treasure into things that are going to last for, for eternity. It, it puts our heart towards heaven. Actually, our wallet is a good window into our soul. It's a, it's a good window into our character. If we want to really figure out what our priorities are, pull up your monthly spending, right? And the monthly spending tells the story of the things that we really value. Now, I'm not trying to pick on any of us. I'm an equal opportunity offender this morning, okay? Uh, but let's just say God provides X amount of money per month. And you look at how that's being spent and you go, you know, 
it's being spent completely on myself and the needs of the family, and then some. You know, we're living off of credit every, every, every single month, and every month it's the same story. I can't afford to invest in the kingdom of God. I can't afford to put my treasure in the, in the things of God. Opposed to saying, okay, here's what the Lord has provided. This is roughly what I know what the income is. And I'm going to take the first fruits and I'm going to give it to the kingdom of God as the Lord puts this on my heart. And I'm going to make sure that as I budget, I just budget that in there in faith. And I'm going to trust the Lord that his word's true, that my first fruits are going to go to to the Lord. What does that do for us when we do that? It reminds us it all belongs to God. You know? So it's not that 100% belongs to me. It's 100% belongs to God. And that first fruit, that tithe and that offering is acknowledging that it all belongs to you. And it does something to my heart as I'm able to give. If you're a parent, you know this as you raise your, your children. Is you want them to give, right? So you, you teach them about giving to grow your kids. And God's the same way. He teaches us about giving to grow us. I hope you understand that God is not broke, right? God's not going up in heaven going, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. If they don't give, my, my work is going to hit the tank. He doesn't need anything from us. And our hearts here at RMC is that your giving would be between you and the Lord. And that's why we don't pass a plate, pass, pass an offering, is that you would pray about what the Lord desires for you to give and give cheerfully. And there's boxes in the back, an opportunity to give, give online. But that being our philosophy, it's not that we don't believe that giving is important. And so when it comes up in Scripture, we want to teach it in Scripture and how the Lord leads us to give, to be faithful to that, because our heart is going to follow our treasure. Where we put our treasure, our heart will follow. And so this is a very practical way for our mind to be set on heaven. The third thing that my pastor shared years ago is transfers. So you've got trials, you've got treasure, but you also have transfers. Sets our heart towards heaven. When someone that you love dies and goes home to be with the Lord, heaven becomes very real, doesn't it? Instead of it just being this afterthought, you go, wow, mom or dad, they're in God's presence. My brother's in God's presence. My, my spouse is in God's presence. One of the real privileges of being a pastor is doing funerals, doing memorial services, and grieving with people who've lost a loved one, and to hear them express the reality of heaven as they bury a loved one. God says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. It's the ultimate graduation from God's perspective when someone gets to come home to be with the Lord. I feel to some degree this is where the Lord has had me the last few months as I shared probably two months ago about my dad's health. He's had Parkinson's for quite a while and dementia seems to have set in and he has better days than others with his memory. Sometimes his memory is really clear and sometimes it's not so clear. And I had a chance to spend some time with him on Friday and we had a, a great time together and were able to go on a walk and it was one of the days where his memory was more clear. And as I've been journeying with my dad on this for, for some time, it is a, a trial. It's a trial for him. You know, he's, he's physically suffering with, with his Parkinson's and physically suffering with his, his memory. 
And I think a lot of times as a culture, like we don't know what to do with suffering. If there's suffering, we say, well, it's just got to end. And this, this suffering is bad and the suffering needs to, to be over. And in my flesh, apart from the Lord, I tend to go, Lord, it seems like it's time for you to take dad home to be with the Lord. You know, as much as I enjoy time with him, it's hard to see him suffer. And to say, okay, Lord, what, what's the point in this suffering? Why are, you, why are you allowing this suffering? But, you know, the scripture doesn't say I get to number my dad's days. <laughs> it doesn't say that my dad gets to number his days. God gets to number his days and God's allowing this season of suffering in his life. And there's great value in that suffering, even though that it's difficult. And it's causing my heart to focus on heaven in a way that it hasn't prior. It's happening in a way that I can't just absorb from a book, that I can't just absorb from a sermon. It really hit me as I was mourning that some of our conversations are different depending on his memory, that my dad and I are going to be in heaven together forever. And we're going to have a lot of amazing conversations together. And that's a certainty that I can set my hope in, that I can put my heart in, into that. So my dad's been a wonderful uh, father uh, to me. And as soon as I had that thought, you know what it did inside of me? It was like, I want as many people as possible to go to heaven. I want as many people as possible to enjoy heaven. But when things are just kind of bumping along smooth, I don't think about heaven as much. I'm not looking forward to it as much. There's more of a focus on the things of this world. When you look at the teachings of Christ, the hope that he gives us is always based on heaven. He says, look, in this life, you're going to have tribulation. There's never going to be a season in our lives without trial. We often think, well, if I just get to here, if I just get to this stage, if I just get to that stage, nope. In this life, we will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome this world. Just don't let your heart be troubled because I go to prepare a place for you. So may we choose this spiritual discipline. May we choose this journey to say, I'm going to change my thinking. Instead of just focusing on earthly things, I'm going to focus on the things that are above. And as I focus on the things that, that are above, I think then we're able to see this life with, with clarity. In verse 3, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The reason that we're seeking the things that are above, setting our mind on things above, is because we've died. We've been crucified with Christ. We've, we've died to this worldly agenda. We have a different priority now. And Christ, he's our life. So we're seeking him. And when he appears, we'll appear with him in glory. The second coming of Christ. Christ is going to appear in glory. We're going to be glorified forever with the Lord to rule and reign with Christ. You could put a hashtag on this. It's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it. It's not that this life is going to be glorious necessarily, though it has its ups and its downs. It's you're going to appear with him in glory. And that's our hope and that's our, our expectation. Therefore, in light of this, what should daily life look like? Put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The third point is to slay. Put to death. These are pretty strong terms. These are the things that are on earth that are a reality, our sinful nature. 
We still struggle with sin and we struggle with temptation and we're going to struggle with temptation until we go home to be with the Lord. So we need to slay these things. These things need to be killed in our lives. God is telling us don't flirt with sin, don't foster sin, don't get calloused about sin, don't justify sin, don't become the victim of sin that, oh, I don't have any way out, but fight to the point of saying, I'm going to put these things to death so that I can fulfill this mission of growing in Christ and, and making Christ known. And the first thing that's listed is fornication. Fornication is all sexual immorality. In our day and age, then we have to define what is God's design for sex. So for us to know sexual immorality, we've got to know what God's purpose is. And God lays it out for us in Genesis. God created Adam and Eve, male and female. And inside of the commitment of marriage, sex is beautiful and sex is to be expressed and enjoyed and joined together a husband and wife. But anything outside of that becomes destructive destructive in our relationship with God, destructive in our relationship with others. And so we fight for God's design. We'd say, okay, I'm going to live in God's design for sexuality. A man and a woman, a male and a female together inside of this commitment of of marriage. Isn't it interesting how much Satan has attacked God's design? How many counter messages there are to, to God's design? And as God's people, we trust God's design and say, okay, I'm going to slay fornication in my life. I'm going to choose to walk in God's design. And because of who Christ is, because of his death and his resurrection, because Christ in you is the hope of glory, guess what? You can live according to God's design. For those of you that are single and you're saying, man, I'm trying to live in sexual integrity. Christ in you is the hope of glory. It's possible in Christ. Husbands and wives, you can live in sexual purity inside of of your marriage. Where this has to be fought against is the area of pornography. It seems like pornography has become pervasive. To say, this needs to be crucified in, in my life. This needs to be slain in my life. And men, we want to invite you to our men's conference on November 15th and 16th as we look at this in more detail. We can fight this together in the Lord to say, I want to live in sexual integrity. What could maybe be keeping the church as a whole, not just our church, but the, the church as a whole, from being able to set our mind on things that are above, to be able to pursue people the way that God would desire? could be sexual sin, you know? How much time is wasted in pornography? How much energy is wasted in pornography? How much time is wasted in pursuing relationships that are outside of God's design? And as the church says, Lord, I'm going to walk with you in this area, how much more energy there would be to put in a relationship with Christ, to, to put into this mission of being able to pursue people. Through Christ, it's possible. God wants us to slay those things. Uncleanness. Uncleanness is impurity. Any area of impurity in our lives, God wants that to be crucified. Passion is literally lust. Literally means lust. And lust is longing for something that God hasn't provided. And it's definitely true in the sexual arena, but in other areas of life too. Maybe God hasn't provided that house, but I'm lusting after it. Maybe God hasn't provided that car, but I'm lusting after it. Maybe God hasn't provided that position, but 
I'm lusting after it. And so that needs to be slain in, in our lives. Evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, similar to lust, longing for something that God hasn't provided, coveting something that belongs to someone else. And God says that covetousness is idolatry. Sometimes we want something so bad that it actually becomes an idol to us. It becomes more important to our relationship with Christ. It becomes first instead of Christ being first. I'm sure there's probably sins that we're struggling with that aren't in verse 5. Verse 5 is not all-inclusive, but we get the idea, don't we? It's our attitude towards sin. Instead of a complacent attitude of going, man, this threatens my relationship with Christ. This threatens my effectiveness of how God could use my life. So instead of justifying it, I want to slay it through Christ and his strength and, and, and his help. Becomes even more practical as we read on. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So for those that don't receive Christ their Savior, God's going to judge because of these things. If it weren't for Christ's righteousness imputed on our behalf, we too would be judged for these things. We used to walk according to this agenda. But now we've been changed. But now we've been transformed. But now we have a changed priority. And here comes some of the most practical verses in the Bible. The put-offs and the put-ons. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Paul gives us this illustration of clothes. And there's the garments, the clothes of the old man who we were before we knew Christ our Savior. And then our new clothes, the garments of Christ. And so we're to put off the old and we're to put on the new. So we've got things that we're supposed to surrender, supposed to get rid of. And that's our fourth point, to, to surrender these things. So I kind of have a bad habit. <clears throat> For some reason, especially like with t-shirts, I'll just hold on to them and they're way past overdue. Like they're, they're completely expired. But I'm, I'm, I'm still keeping this t-shirt and holding on to this t-shirt and then it seems like a lot of times things that happen in the church, we've always got to print a t-shirt, right? So there's a t-shirt for this and a t-shirt for that, and, and I'm given more, more t-shirts. So here I have all these old t-shirts that are 20 years old, and then I've got new t-shirts, and I just have way too many t-shirts, right? But I don't put off these, these old t-shirts, and you know what's next, the voice of my lovely bride is like, get rid of some t-shirts, right? It's time, time to p put these off. And I'm like, I have so many good memories in this t-shirt, right? I know it's got paint on it and some sweat stains, gross, but I don't want to get rid of it. Just put it off, put it off. Right? Get, it's got to go. You got a new t-shirt right there. It's time to bond with the, the new t-shirt. Make memories in the new t-shirt. And how much more so the, the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, really? You want to wear that? You want to wear that anger? You want to wear that malice? You want to wear that blasphemy? You, you really want to wear that filthy language? It's, that's not you anymore. It's, it's time for you to take that off. It's time for you to put it off. 
And this is our journey daily in the Christian life because we do struggle with the old man as we're tempted in wrestling to say, you know what, this isn't who I am any longer. I'm choosing to put this off. Anger is this condition of the heart where we go through our days and it's the undercurrent, it's the tone of our life of I'm just angry. I'm angry. And God says, no, that's not who you are any longer. God can't do his work in our anger. So we have to choose to, to put it off. So when you start feeling that for some reason, you're like, man, I, I'm just so angry. Maybe you find yourself this morning go, man, I'm just angry. It's cold. I didn't really like those worship songs. Something wrong with the coffee in the foyer. I feel like he's going to go long today. And just put it off, right? Just, sometimes we just wake up on the wrong side of the bed and, and our families can tell, our coworkers can tell, man, just angry. That's a good time to go ahead and put it off. Wrath is different than anger because wrath is the actual outburst. Wrath is the fruit of the anger. So here I am, the condition of my heart is in this mode of anger. Eventually, the outburst of wrath is going to come and put that off and say, okay, I'm setting that aside. Malice is ill will. If there's someone that's on your hit list, lay it aside. That's not your new man in Christ, even if they've wronged you, all right? We can have this narrative in our minds of just ill will towards someone and put that off. Blasphemy is literally slander. You know, it's slandering somebody in, in our heart, in our, in our mind. And then the whole bucket here is the filthy language, just things that aren't edifying and aren't glorifying to, to the Lord. Also to put off lying, don't, don't lie to one another, since these are part of your old man and his deeds. God wants us speaking the truth to each other. But then we're encouraged to put on, in verse 10, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So as we put off the old, we're to put on the new. Please stay tuned because next week we're going to get in detail in verses 12 through 17, the things that we're supposed to put on. This new clothes that God has, has given to us. But Paul very purposefully uses this practical language of, okay, I'm putting off anger and I'm putting on kindness. I'm putting off of lust and, and I'm putting on the, the love of God. This new man needs to be renewed. So though we're saved and we're in Christ, we need to be renewed. And that happens according to knowledge, as we have knowledge of Christ, the one who has created us. When we learn more about who the Lord is, then our new man is renewed. Part of this new identity that we've been given in our position in Christ is verse 11. It says, where there's neither Greek nor Jew. This was a racial division that had happened in society. This church of Colossae in Turkey would have Jews and Gentiles. And Paul's saying, now you're not separated racially. You're new in Christ. Into our hearts as believers, there's no room for racism. It doesn't make any sense. God has created all of us. And he loves diversity. He's created us differently to glorify himself. He has died for all of us. We're going to spend all of eternity together. So if you have a group of people in your heart that you're prejudiced against towards, that doesn't line up with the heart of God. It has no place inside of the life of, of the believer. 
And hopefully inside of the church, the world can look on and see something completely different. The world can look on and go, wow, I see the love of Christ that's there. Also circumcision or uncircumcision, this was a religious division from the old covenant to the new covenant. Some would be circumcised, some would be uncircumcised. And Paul says this division is no longer there. Barbarian, Scythian, this is anybody who wasn't Greek. A non-Greek was a barbarian. A non-Greek was called a Scythian, which means a savage. And Paul's saying, no more, slave nor free. This would be a social barrier. You would have those who were slaves and those who weren't slaves, but not so inside of the church. The church is such a beautiful thing because we get to hang out with people who aren't like us, right? Because of our bond inside of Christ. This is part of our new identity in Christ. Inside of the church, if there's a a group of people, a person that you're not comfortable hanging out with, well, why? If there's someone that you're not comfortable with fellowshipping with, why? Maybe you go, they have a lot more money than me, so I don't feel comfortable hanging out with them. Well, that's hogwash. Maybe it's on the other side of it, and you go, well, they don't have as much money as me, so I don't feel comfortable hanging out with them. That's garbage, right? It doesn't matter. We're, we're in Christ, and so we're able to fellowship together. We have a real opportunity right now to display the love of Christ because our country's so divided. Everywhere you look, you see division. You don't see unity. We're united in Christ, and the world will see who Jesus is by our love for each other. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So a few questions, and then we're going to prepare for communion. And the first is this, is what am I seeking? Wrestle with that for just a little bit. What am I seeking? What am I really passionate about? It represents what has our heart. And then what am I setting my mind on? We tend to have a treadmill in our brain. We think about over and over and over and over again and Have we set our mind on things that are above? Is there a a trial, a transfer, treasure in your life that God is using to cause us to, to think differently? Am I slaying sin? Sometimes with sin and struggles of sin in our lives, we experience defeat so much, we don't believe that victory is possible. We've accepted it. We're really not fighting against that sin any longer. We're like, well, I'm just going to be angry. Well, I'm just going to walk in lust. Boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. I'm saved. Praise the Lord. But this is never going to change in my life. Well, that doesn't fit into Colossians 3, does it? It says, put those things to death. God is alive, and he's able to change and transform those areas of our lives. And then, Am I surrendering the clothes of the old man and surrounding myself with the clothes of the new man? Do you have some old t-shirts in the spiritual closet that need to go? That those that love us would say, you know what? That anger just doesn't look very good on you. You know that malice? Man, it just doesn't look very good on you. That filthy language, it just doesn't really fit with who you are as a believer. It's time to to put it off. And as we go into this afternoon and tomorrow to say, I'm putting this off and I'm putting this on. And thank goodness we get to meet with our crucified risen Savior. We're going to take communion together. 
We're going to wait till everyone's served and then we're going to partake together representing this unity that we have in Christ. And as we prepare our hearts for communion, let's really reflect on what we've been instructed in God's word and allow the Lord to, to reveal those areas of our lives that he would love to set us free in. So would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, your broken body, your shed blood. And as we look to live in you, Lord, we ask as we spend time with you at the communion table that you would reveal the priorities of our hearts, that you would reveal the condition of our minds, maybe areas of sin that we've got complacent in, that we could experience your forgiveness this morning and also your freedom. So would you really bless this time? Let's continue in just waiting upon the Lord. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, we want to make sure that you understand communion. I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision for Christ. Is what we're going to partake in represents the gospel, that Jesus' body was broken for you, that his blood was shed for you. Why did that have to happen? Why did that have to take place? Because we're sinners. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And that separates us from God. But God wanted to be in relationship with us to the point where he sent his son for you and died upon the cross and rose again. And Jesus says that we've got to make a decision to choose to believe in Christ, to turn from sin, to repent and say, I acknowledge and understand that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose again. And I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life, which means he takes control of our lives. If we're at a place where we still want to be in control of our lives, we're not ready to receive this free gift of salvation. But if you're at a place of saying, man, I know that I make a mess of me. I know that I make a mess of, of others, and I need Jesus to be my Lord. I need him to take control of my life. So if you'd like to make that decision, you haven't made that decision in the past, I want to give you an opportunity right now just to raise your hand and raise it to Christ, and I'll lead you in a prayer. So praise the Lord. Anybody else this morning that says, I want to receive Christ as my Savior? We'll just wait for a few moments. Say this prayer with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for my sins and rose again. I turn from my sin and invite you to be the Lord of my life. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. You can go ahead and put your hand down. I just want to pray for you. Lord, I just thank you for the beauty of salvation. Lord, would you bless them as they've responded to salvation. Fill them with the joy of the Lord. And we celebrate with them. In Jesus' name, amen.